coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. This is a mistimed podcast for sure. Last week, just before the draft, I got to sit down with Scott Barrett from FantasyPoints.com and talk about prospects before the draft. The draft is now well underway. We're into day three, and I finally got the editing done. So, yeah. Um, I still think it's a really interesting podcast. Scott dropped some knowledge on some well-known prospects, some of his favorite underrated prospects, and, uh, you know... Pre-draft takes still have relevance. In fact, without the bias of what the NFL thinks, you can sometimes remember some nuggets that really help you in, in the future, especially when we see how the class actually plays out. So, hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And uh, here's Scott Barrett trying to teach me something, anything. Please, Pete, learn something. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the mask not adding up, you bet I'm checking it out. I'm Welcome to the ground. Uh, so where are you at on this wide receiver class? That's literally where we're starting because I'm terrible. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think this class in general reminds me a lot of the 2016 class, hopefully a little bit better than that. But you had the clear bell cow RB1. You had the uh, exciting RB2 with pass catching question marks. who's a hyper elite runner, probably the superior runner. Uh, And then not really any starting caliber running backs behind that. Uh, With the wide receiver position, it was uh, a high amount of wide receivers in round one. And uh, a lot of busts and, uh, you know, the two best wide receivers went a little bit later in Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill. So I don't know that this is a bad class. I wouldn't say that. I, I think it's a very polarizing one, and I think it should be a polarizing one. I think you, you take my top six, and I, I like a lot of these guys, but if a couple of those just totally busted out on like a Hakeem Butler, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Jalen Rieger type level, that that wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it feels somewhat similar. It's like, I've got nine players I like pretty well. I wouldn't be surprised if I miss some of the best ones, obviously, like normal. But um, And then there's a really heavy tier two. I recently basically moved everyone into tier two, and I have six wide receivers in there. I do have Burke separated out, but I'm willing to admit, just because he was more productive, it doesn't necessarily mean he's the best fantasy prospect. 
especially considering some of the things I've specifically seen you post about, which I don't have access to. So, um, yeah, I guess, like always, that's the first question. How do you go about evaluating wide receivers? Like, what's the process? Yeah, so I have a production model and an athleticism model. Uh, you've seen RAS it's, uh, or Spark. It's something similar to that. It's called Spork. Score doesn't mean anything, just a tongue-in-cheek name I came up with. Uh, but it only looks at the most predictive events and metrics for each position. And then within each position, there's archetypes. So there's the smaller slot guy where the three cone is going to be a little bit more important. Um, and so, I mean, athleticism is massively important at the tight end position. It's sort of important, maybe a little bit overrated at the running back position. And it's not really too important with wide receivers and especially extra unimportant for slot wide receivers. Uh, so the what's going to be doing the heavy lifting with wide receivers is my production model. And this is something I've been doing for a number of years. Uh, the hit rate on it last year was, was really strong. Uh, only guy I might have missed on was uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, just a, a little low, higher on him than where he went in the draft, but still probably a little too low. And so I made a big change this year, and I think – uh, corrected what went wrong with that. But this is uh, something I've been working on for a number of years and, and continually fine-tuning it. Yeah, last year was um, good in the sense that it f everyone feels like they did well, I think. And no, there was basically, trying to be honest with myself, so there were basically two players you could get wildly wrong. And I think I got one wildly wrong, and I got one right. That's Terrence Marshall. You could have been too high on him. And... Um, Jalen Waddle, I felt like he was lacking a little bit, but there was, you know, he had, I think there was a sample size problem. He only played a year full, one full year. Um, and I, I, I was way too low on Waddle, uh, but I was right on Terrence Marshall, so I'll take it. I'll consider it a neutral year. Um, this year feels very different to me, though. Like, I've, got, I've basically got one giant tier two, and um, there are six players in it, and Burks is slightly higher just because he was further above the age curve. Um, but you recently posted about the percentage of his receptions that came on contested catches or something like that. And it made me concerned because a lot of the players yeah. I've missed on were on that list. Yeah. So that was the Drake London tweet, the, the trail on Burks thing. Uh, you, if you look at the article, I think it's free. Um, maybe there was a paywall applied retroactively. I'm not sure, but last I checked, it was free. <clears throat> uh, obviously there's a lot to like the raw production is really impressive. Uh, but it's also highly fraudulent production. So, uh, yeah, I've really, seen you use that word too. Fraud, most fraudulent wide receiver in the draft, which you know sounded scary to me. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say most fraudulent wide receiver. I'd say the most fraudulent production. Uh, and just what I mean by that is he uh, was never really asked to do what is typically demanded of NFL wide receivers, and that's true to an extent with every wide receiver in this class, rarely facing press coverage, things of that nature. But it goes so much farther beyond that with Burks. He was never actually tasked with the responsibility of having to beat a real cornerback in coverage with the lone exception possibly being the go route. Instead, Arkansas persistently and almost exclusively went out of their way to manufacture touches for him to get the ball in his hands as easily as possible. Um, and really, if you just look at his production profile, it's identical to LaVisca Chenault's uh, production profile coming out. Um, so 
screens are just a proxy for manufactured touches and go routes. That's far more a college route than an NFL route. Uh, makes up 22% of all wide receiver yardage in college, but only half that in the NFL. And so last season, 56% of Burks' receiving yards came on screens and goes. That was by far the most of any wide receiver since 2014. And if you look at the top 20 names, uh, it was it was basically only busts. And you could do something similar with Drake London. And actually, Drake London falls on that on that archetype. A lot of go routes, a lot of screens. And then the other thing with him was he only had 17 non-screen catches against man coverage when lined up as an actual wide receiver. And so if you look at the top 15 wide receivers in the class, only one ranked below him, and that was George Pickens, who had an injury and had only five catches all year. It was Drake London had twice as many such catches, and uh, it was identical again to LaVisca Chenault's 2018. But to play devil's advocate for for Traylon Burks, who – is currently my wide receiver five. He's in like maybe a, his own tier, uh, third tier, let's say. But um, he's he's very risky. The one thing you can argue for him is uh, really poor quarterback play. Uh, no one else on that team was good, so it sort of made sense to just uh, you know give him those layup touches. And you know he was hyper efficient and he was hyper productive. And he had the smallest sample against man coverage. The smallest sample on outside routes against a cornerback, the smallest sample, et cetera, et cetera. But on that small sample, he was the most efficient wide receiver in every category. So like I said at the top, this is a very risky, polarizing, boomer bust class, and he's a perfect example of that. I mean, you could let me ask a question before you you point out all that stuff so it feels like, you know, I, I understand things. But that's fine, Scott. It's fine. And, <laughs> now, I was going to say, actually, that you're just knocking him down. Polarizing class, but I think the biggest fans, fandom players in this class is going to be Traylon Burks, Drake London. And personally, I have a small flame for George Pickens and David Bell, who I'm not going to mention because I'm scared of what you're going to say about him just now. <laughs> and you're just knocking him down one by one. So it's going to tell you some positive. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Um, what's in your production model? Is it weighting all of this? Um, and also, nah, I don't want to add a tack on question. <laughs> what's, what is your production model? Is it somehow waiting for this type, um, type of role and how efficient they're on it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to give away too much. Just, you know, it's a sort of proprietary thing and I'm very productive, sure. protective of it. Uh, but obviously age is a massive component. Age adjusted production is, is really important. There's a efficiency component too. So my model did like Jalen Waddle a lot more than most models last year. Um, a recent development was I added uh, a teammate score um, so I might've missed on Justin Jefferson or I, I was lower on him than I should have been Same with Amon Ross St. Brown. And so this, what it does is it looks at quarterback play. It looks at target competition from wide receivers who are already in the NFL. And it looks at, you know, wide receivers who have not yet declared. So that pulls in Wes Huber's Debbie rankings. He ranks up to like Debbie wide receiver 190, And then it has a sort of composite score, and that's like the last piece of it where I, I, I adjust guys up or down based on that score. Um, so Traylon Burks had a low teammate score, you know, minimal target competition. But again, the, the quarterback play was, was pretty mediocre at best, sub-mediocre. 
so can't get into specifics on the model, but you are using some weighted just at some age adjustments, which makes sense. They're literally basically the only thing I can find to really improve the overall numbers. Um, and you're not using athleticism much. So who's sticking out based on this production model and this kind of process for this wide receiver class? Uh, well, we could talk about my wide receiver one, uh, which is which Drake are, London. Are your ranks proprietary as well? Sorry, I, d I really don't mean to be asking you proprietary questions. No, you can you can certainly ask me uh, my wide receiver ranks. That's fine. Uh, so this is one I, I've gone back and forth on for the past few days and kept waffling and flipping them back and forth. Uh, Garrett Wilson, I mean, he's just the safest pro uh, prospect by a landslide minimal red flags, Drake London, massive red flags. But uh, at the end of the day, I tried to stay as true to the model as possible. And, and I have Drake London as my wide receiver one. I think I did a good job of shaping the sort of counter narrative against him uh, by bringing up uh, the fact that he had 31% of his catches, non-screen catches, come on contested catches. And if you look at the list of wide receivers uh, who ranked similarly or at a similarly high percentage of uh, uh, contested catches uh, versus total non-screen catches. It's really just a list of the top busts. It's J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. It's Jalen Rieger. It's Denzel Mims. It's yeah. Hakeem Butler. If, you, if I had a larger sample, it'd be Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson. And so it's just, it's just a massive red flag, like that archetype. Maybe it's a dying breed within the NFL. Maybe it's indicative of the fact that he's too slow, that he can't separate, and he didn't do himself any favors by not running a single event at the pro day. Uh, still, like outside of that, th his numbers, his age-adjusted stuff, his, his target competition stuff is so insanely strong that after much deliberation – uh, I decided to stay true to the model and, and keep him at wide receiver one. Uh, it's more of like a three-way tie at the top. Uh, but I mean, you just look at his, his uh, production profile and as an 18.1 year old true freshman, he was neck and neck with Amon Ross St. Brown over the last final six games of the season. Um, and Amon Ross St. Brown is 1.7 years older. Michael Pittman was four years older the next season. He, seriously bested Amon Ross St. Brown. And he was still playing basketball on the USC uh, team at the time, which is absurd. And then he finally focused on football and he had the third best age adjusted yards per game season in my database. So uh, really a lot to like. He's also one of the most elusive wide receivers in this class by missed tackles force per catch. Uh, you put him alongside, well, since 2015, he ranks fifth best. And then on the top 10, 10 list, but behind him is Debo Samuel, DJ Moore, AJ Brown, Rondell Moore, LaVisca Chenault. And it's, it's just rare you see someone with his size move like that. The red flags, again, it's, it's, uh, the concern is that he can't separate against college cornerbacks. And if you can't separate against college cornerbacks, you're not going to separate against NFL wide receivers and you're not going to be productive at the NFL level. And again, it, it puts him on a list with Nikhil Harry, one, JJ Ortega Whiteside, two, Jalen Rieger, three, Drake London, four, Denzel Mims, five. And that's that cohort of names is at the very least a red flag. This archetype, aka contested catch wide receiver, uh, is, is at least a little frightening to me. 
Yeah, um, I think what I can drag out of that wealth of good information and back into my, you know, basic view of things is that if you adjust it for players that we've seen elevate into the NFL level, like Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown, as you mentioned, Drake London was more productive based on an age adjustment or just flat out looking at yards for team attempt, for example, in his final year, he had 3.2, whereas uh, the best Michael Pittman ever got in his final year actually was 2.48. So I definitely get the context. I will say teammate score, in my experience, has been the just the deaths of so many good models. I kind of hate it, but I do like it when it's a positive this way because we can see how well he played in a very similar situation compared to players we already know have been able to elevate. But I don't know. Um, I liked his production a lot. Um, I came away thinking I was going to be high on London until I was told he was a wide receiver one overall, like almost immediately. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was... I, I didn't think he's... It, again, using my basic... I didn't think he separated himself out um, production-wise from four or five other guys. But, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about him. Um, I think I think you could you could honestly say, like, Drake London's range of outcomes are... DeAndre Hopkins or Hakeem Butler. Uh, there are film experts, uh, Greg Cassell, who works at our site, who said uh, he thought Alec Pierce was a significantly better prospect on film. George Pickens, significantly better prospect on film. Uh, there's another one who, who his comp for him was Hakeem Butler. Another one uh, who works at ESPN who says, like, I, I, I saw a tight end on film. And then there's Mike Renner, who says he's the, the best wide receiver in the class. Some other uh, ones of my my PFF buddies who say he's the wide receiver one in the class. Again, a lot of models like him. I, I it's just he just profiles as a massively boomer bust wide receiver to me. So if you want to put uh, Garrett Wilson ahead of him, if you want to put Jamison Williams ahead of him, I, I think that's totally fine. Um, no, neither. Uh, but <laughs> no, it's interesting to talk about the varied number of outcomes because I, I guess what I've had in my head, I guess I just. I really do just live in a little bubble. I do my little profiles and I move on and occasionally I argue with a few of my friends. And then to me, I, Drake London comes across and I don't want to spend the whole time in Drake London. He's, he was very good in college and I think he's going to be drafted pretty highly. There's not, there's not much to argue about there. I think it's positive, but um, to me, the way I think of him is a more limited player. It's not a very number of outcomes. It's he plays one. He excelled greatly playing the position one particular way that elevates to the NFL level rarely to put it nicely. It's Mike Evans, Mike Evans in the last five, six years. That's the only guy I can think of that played specifically the way he did, how it's described to me. Cause I'm not evaluating tape and his production profile was good enough to definitely say he did it at an above average level and significantly similar to players that go on to do well, but not, so much better than again like I said four four or five others but yeah it's really interesting to hear a more in-depth breakdown of the way he was producing it there and um, so i think on that mentioned... point yeah i think on that point even some of the the film experts i talked to who are enamored with drake london say he should be a big slot in the nfl and that in and of itself is a, a massive red flag to me it's like why would you take a big slot top 15 Overall, it, it's slot wide receiver has become such a devalued position in the NFL. And, you know, Mike Jasicki, he could probably be had for like a round three pick, round four pick as a big slot because we have Jalen Waddle's slot, Tyreek Hill slot. So he, there's some sort of redundancy there. Jarvis Landry's free. Cole Beasley's free. 
And so if, if that's true, if, if he's can only really be successful or, or his best position is big slot in the NFL, I don't know why you would take that top 15. Um, so I don't know. Right. I know it's it's so interesting to hear a guy who's so dialed in on NFL relevant, like how to be good in the NFL or how to improve in the NFL. Because to me, slot's not just a good word. It's like the word, like increasingly top 12 wide receivers in fantasy have largest usages in the slot. Like you mentioned, um, even Tyree Kill's getting some use over there. So like that would be a positive. But anyway, um, from my little fantasy perspective, anyway, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter for fantasy. Like he could absolutely smash and be, you know, Michael Thomas. He, he's gotten Michael Thomas comps, but it's just from an NFL uh, GM's perspective. It's just we talk about running backs being devalued in the draft. I mean, slot wide receivers definitely should be devalued in the draft. But but for fantasy, it it yeah, if you take him as a big slot in the top fifteen, that that doesn't matter. He's going to put up fantasy points. No, um, Rich Harborough schooled me on Twitter on that one once because he say, said the exact same thing. The, the, the replaceability is the way he put it of um, those type of targets. And I was like, but those are the right. wide receivers I love. And he was like, yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something else. Yeah, yeah. Keep your cheat codes like, oh, okay. Yeah, I love Tyler Boyd. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to segue right back over Traylon Burks here, just knock him out. Because that's who turns out as more the most productive um, in my tiny little model, not nowhere near the same thing. Um, but I'm willing to admit, like Nikhil Harry did too, and I've heard Nikhil Harry comps for Traylon Burks, and that's scary. Yeah. So, so again, uh, he's my wide receiver five, but uh, he's he's a tier behind or two tiers behind some of the names we just discussed. Uh, but again, he's yeah. he's Drake London to me. He's very risky. My uh, comp for him would be Lavisca Chanel. Just just the profile, but like, that's not necessarily a diss because LaVisca was a very exciting prospect coming out. Maybe, you know, getting stuck in the dumpster fire that is Jacksonville. Like he, he could have been a superstar in Dallas or somewhere else. So you don't really know, but he just has sort of the same, Mm. uh, where he got his production. It was in the same way, sort of fraudulent production or just production that doesn't really translate as well to, uh, being a true NFL wide receiver, um, but the upside's clearly there. Uh, again, the, the film guys are, are really polarized on him. Uh, Danny Kelly said Debo Samuel. Uh, Lance Zierlein said A.J. Brown. Greg Cassell said a mixture of both. And then I had Jim Nagy, director of the Senior Bowl on my podcast. He said uh, a lesser version of LaVisca Chanel. So, again, uh, a <laughs> range of outcomes with these players are all over the place. Let me ask you this. Um, do you have a way of it? Like they're going to be drafted, um, presumably. Um, but one of the areas I personally struggle is, you know, I've never seen anything help out with landing spot, which you mentioned briefly, um, any better than a coin flip. This is a good or a bad landing spot for this player. I haven't found anything to suggest that we have a reason to suspect. It. It's just a narrative. You can say it's good or bad, but ultimately we don't know. Do you have a way of adjusting for that after the draft, or is it just the draft capital itself? Um, for the wide receiver position, probably not going to factor in too much. I think this is a unique year just because everyone is so enamored with Green Bay and Kansas City as potential landing spots. And like, right. okay, agreed. Those those look super exciting. But yeah, I mean, uh, I made the mistake of bumping up Nikhil Harry too high because I thought 
I didn't like him pre-draft, but uh, I thought that landing spot was great. I thought AJ Brown's landing spot was horrible. And then Mar- Marquise Brown's landing spot was horrible. And then, you know, of course, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, the biggest L of my career. So uh, for <laughs> the running back position, I think it's massively important. Like this is never going to happen, but what if Brees Hall lands in Pittsburgh? Obviously that's a horrific landing spot. Basically wherever Kenneth Walker goes, he should be the RB one, but um, for wide receivers. Yeah. I think it, it tends to be a little overrated. Do you think landing spot matters or is more readable for running back? That's where I'm getting to. Yeah, definitely matters more for running backs. And it's also a little more obvious. And is that just, you know, the, it's just as, pathways to playing time to start yeah. a production uh, carries and targets. Almost more roster than landing spot. Yeah, I can see that. Who do you think standing out in this class for you from your production model or everything that you're looking at that you think might be slightly less noted? Like, again, I, th- I think I'm higher on George Pickens than most. I actually know that for a fact just because it is really one big tier two. So I just put him on the top because he's one hardly anyone talks about in my little bubble anyway. So it's just a fun thing I did. Um, but also David Bell, outside of athleticism, which I, I know you said you're waiting it, but I literally can't find a use for it at all. I find it to be net neutral. You may as well not add it in, in my little testing. So uh, if you're not looking at that, David Bell looks great <laughs> as far as I can tell. But is there anyone for you who you think personally is just showing up a little bit better than you generally get the impression other people think? Yeah, so I'll just say on David Bell, um, I was a little surprised my model wasn't too high on him. It had him wide receiver 10 among the power five wide receivers. I think he sort of flopped in in some of the more advanced metrics I look at, but I, I think you're right. I think athleticism is massively overrated at the wide receiver position, and especially for slot wide receivers, which is how I think he projects to the NFL level. There's one of my buddies at PFF who said he is a Keenan Allen clone, which like, wow, you hear that. And uh, yeah, that gets you excited. Unfortunately it was, it was like a, not just a bad combine performance. It was a sort of horrific combine performance. And then George Pickens. Yeah. My production model said he was the sixth best wide receiver just going off of production. Uh, There were some, uh, I thought athleticism, BMI, related red flags though you can mm-hmm. say hey you know uh, he he's coming off of an acl he didn't have enough time to train so maybe there's an asterisk on that um just on tape also i thought uh, uh his freshman season was his best season which is a slight red flag but our guy greg Gassell said this is the best wide receiver in the class and i've spoken to multiple nfl teams who have said they feel the exact same way the concern with him is unfortunately off the field stuff. Uh, There were some weird rumors, even I've heard, um, character-related red flags. Uh, Lance Zierlein said recently he could fall to round three or beyond, and that was before the car accident, which occurred a few days ago, uh, where he was a passenger in the car and the driver was arrested for reckless driving. Um, And so, you know, that might make teams that were already a little bit skittish even more skittish. Uh, but yeah, certainly I, I see the upside. I like the upside a lot with George Pickens. Yeah, I didn't even know about that car accident. That's how non-plugged men I am, just to make it real clear. That's terrible. Yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of people have heard about that. I, I haven't heard anyone talk about that. No, I, I literally just Googled it while you were talking and something came up about a different NFL prospect from a different year. That uh, Yeah. 
So it's not commonly known. Thanks for letting me know. I did not know there was that concern about yeah, it. So that's really just on. hammer the over on Pickens in, right. in the NFL draft. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he's someone I'm not going to penalize too harshly in the draft capital portion of my model because, yeah, you know, I, I want talent. Uh, you know, I don't care about, you know, character so much uh, when mm. I'm ranking players for dynasties. So uh, even if he does fall to, to round three, I wouldn't penalize him as much as I would, a, let's say, a, a Sky Moore who falls to round three or a Christian Watson who falls to round three. Two people in this class that don't – I I think they get plenty of love. I mean, Garrett Wilson was – and I think still is the dynasty-wide receiver one according to DLF's our site's ADP. Um, and I can understand why. There seems to be less concern with him and Chris Olave. They were just solid. Yeah, so my model had them essentially tied uh, Chris Olave a hair above Garrett Wilson as as wide receiver three, um, and uh, and yeah, I mean his production profile is is really exciting. He, as a sophomore, uh, hit all the marks you'd like to see him hit. The next season, uh, more efficient, more productive on significantly fewer routes and games than than Garrett Wilson. Uh, really smashed with Justin Fields. Obviously, Chicago doesn't have a first-round pick, but uh, that would be the perfect land spot. And then, like you said, uh, the next season, Jackson Smith and Jigba really stole the show. Uh, but, you know, after learning my lesson on Justin Jefferson and Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, I'm right. not going to penalize him for the fact that, or Wilson for the fact that uh, a player still in school led the team in receiving yards when that player still in school is a borderline, supposedly Jamar Chase level prospect. Uh, the concern with Chris Olave is basically he plays like a wussy. Um, he only forced <laughs> okay. one missed tackle last year, ranked 50th in receptions, 521st in missed tackles. Uh, Sky Moore, David Bell, Londell Robinson, Drake London, John Mechie all had 20 or more um, really Zach Ertz levels of forcing missed tackles, which is not good. Uh, you ranked dead last in career yards after contact per reception, second worst in career yards after the catch per reception uh, and all that stuff that feeds into my model. So, you know, it's interesting. He's still ranked this highly. Uh, he did have some other interesting efficiency metrics. Um, some people penalize Olave for, uh, not being an early declare, I, I'm not going to. I, I spoke to a very high-level source uh, who said he had a round two grade by the GM advisory committee. So, like, really, when you penalize wide receivers like that, it's sort of like a Denzel Mims where everyone's like, uh, yeah, don't uh, seventh-round grade, I don't know who this player is. And then one-year wonder and he skyrockets up, that's a red flag. But uh, not for a guy who's supposed to go in round two. Um and then Garrett Wilson, uh, red flag, never led the team in receiving yards. But again, bunch of round one caliber wide receivers, um, really strong efficiency, production metrics, and just no red flags. So like that's the that's the one thing you could argue to put him at wide receiver one, like supposedly a lot of NFL teams have. He's just he seems safe. I don't know. Um, do you have any concerns in that way? Like uh, talent seems to come in waves. And then 2022 is coming hot off the heels of one of the hottest draft classes we can remember. Yeah, we, we've definitely been spoiled the last two years. I don't think this class is on par with uh, 2020 or 2021. Um, I, my concern is it's it's sort of like 2016, maybe a slightly better version of 2016, where 
draft mm. capital isn't really predictive. The, you know, the guy who goes wide receiver one turns out to be a bust and the wide receiver three. And then the wide receiver seven or eight, maybe that's George Pickens, turns out to be the top wide receiver in the class. Because again, it's it's a really tricky class. With, like the more my model liked these players, like the bigger their corresponding red flag was. So it's a sort of scary, <laughs> risky class as a whole. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know. I stacked up on 2021 rookie picks last year and uh, man, I'm, I'm like saying, saying my prayers, thanking God for that, because I mean, there's no Jamar Chase, there's no Najee Harris, there's no Jalen Waddle, there's no, there might not even be an Elijah Moore uh, of these wide receivers. So the way I've been framing it for myself is it's a year to just go and pick the one even if he is the one with the big red flag, it's better to trade up and get the guy you actually want, maybe even overdraft him per ADP. No, I, I agree with it. Go go and get your guys. Yeah, outside of just running you down, like what are your wide receiver ranks and why are those wide receivers? I think I already asked my last question, like which is the one guy that stands out to you? Um, and you already went through that. So uh, is there anything else we should really be paying attention to from this draft? It's very, very close now. Is there some player that's particularly uh, dependent on landing in a good spot or, or getting a certain amount of draft capital, whether they're going to fall up or down your draft board? I know that's a fairly vague question, but that's how I live, Scott. Fairly vague. Yeah. yeah. So obviously I, I think uh, uh, draft capital is most important for, for Justin Ross. And unfortunately it's Ooh. probably not going to be great draft capital. I'm hearing uh, late round seven by Dean Brugler, round five to six by Lance Zierlein. And so, I mean, you can, you can talk about this as I'm sure, you know, you look at everything prior to the spinal surgery he had, and he was looking like a really high level prospect uh, as a freshman. Yeah, that first year, that first year was amazing. Honestly, especially compared to his peers here. It was the best ever yards per route run season in PFF's history. Uh, It, and he did it competing for targets against T. Higgins, Hunter Renfro, Amari Rogers. He didn't start a single game, uh, and he led the team in receiving the next year really solid as well. And so you just stack those two years up against T. Higgins, who, by the way, is a year older, and they're basically dead even in uh, yards per route run uh, or percentage of receiving yards, percentage of routes. And uh, yeah, obviously that's his upside and it's really sexy. And then last year, you kind of have to throw out all of last year. He played with a broken bone in his foot. He had bottom five levels of quarterback play. And uh, yeah, so you throw that out and what are you left with? Just like this super exciting wide receiver prospect who's going to be basically free in rookie drafts. Uh, But of course, that injury red flag is a massive one. Many NFL teams are not sure he can ever return to being the same player again, or they don't want to take a risk that he can get hit in the wrong spot and suffer a brutal, devastating injury. And uh, it's just like, again, this is a very uh, boomer bust class, high risk, high reward prospects. And he's the perfect example of it where, oh, you're getting T Higgins in round five of a rookie draft versus, you know, this guy is, is going to be a UDFA teams don't want to take the the chance on him due to medical red flags and he doesn't play special teams. So he's not going to make a team. And so, hey, Jaguars taking round three, you know, wheels up. I'm, I'm parting hard, but, uh, you know, round seven, I'm still buying. I'm, I'll buy as cheap as possible. But um, 
or we'll, we'll, we'll get it at a discount at least, but um, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a tricky one. Do you have any thoughts on Justin Ross? Yeah. Like you said, all the thoughts at the, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. He's kind of a hellish mix of Mike Williams and Rondo Moore from the way I profile, which is just Mike Williams actually came back and played somewhat below average, but at least he played after his, his terrible neck injury. And it took him a second to catch on in the NFL before we saw the start of last season. He was actually just, but also Rondo Moore, where Rondo Moore had that great first season and then never really played more than, uh, he never hit six games again. And so we just, I just had this one first great year to look at. Um, and, you know, the jury's still out. Or the jury's still out for me on Rondo Moore. I think most people feel like that first year was a disappointment. Uh, I think profile-wise. So, yeah, it's a bit of a hellish nightmare. I like the fact – I don't like the fact he's going to fall in the draft or we currently think he's going to fall in the draft because obviously draft capital is incredibly significant to success. But because of that, I don't mind getting him cheaper, like you said, cheap as possible because I don't know if he can recover. I'm definitely not a doctor. The NFL isn't a doctor. Um, and there's significant risks there whether he got drafted or not. Um, and some players, you know – I've honestly wondered before, some players benefit from lower draft capital. There's less expectation earlier. You can acclimatize. You can develop, in the case of Justin Ross, maybe recover. Um, I don't know. Speaking of which, that's actually a question I would want to ask someone like you because you, what do you do with players with small samples? Obviously, you've just led us through your breakdown of Justin Ross, but it, the only person I've come across that has some way of dealing with a small sample is like Adam Hofstad, who uses something he calls a Bayesian average, which is where he gives everyone like another 150 attempts at an average rate and then sees how everyone works out. I think that's what he does. I don't understand most of what Adam says, but do you have a way of um, like dealing with a Rondo Moore or a Justin Ross where you only have so little to judge him on and not, you know, obviously the more you, the more of a sample you have, the more confident you can be in who they are or who they might be. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly not on uh, Adam's level. Don't even know what, a what, what you just described. I don't know. I use the right word. I'll be honest with you, Scott. Yeah. Don't quote me no, on I'm that. Sure you, I'm sure something. you did. <laughs> so, so what I, what I do is I just like sit behind my spreadsheet and I play around with it for a really long time. So for a Justin Ross, like my model has him, with his final season included, it has a version of him with that excluded. Um, for um, Damian Pierce, it has a version of him where I just doubled his volume in production because Lance Zierlein <laughs> said it was a fireable offense. He didn't have twice as many touches as he did. And guess what? That that coaching staff did get fired. And I had Jimmy <laughs> on the podcast who like heavily hinted at why that was the case and why, yes, Damian Pierce is going to be a bell cow and should have had two to three times as many touches, whatever. But so I just made that upside argument within my model and he jumps to RB3. I'm, I'm not going to have him anywhere near that high. I'm going to take sort of like an average between the, the two versions. But uh, I, I like to just sort of play around with arguments like that and see where it takes me. The other player I was going to ask you about, because every time you start talking, I think about more things, obviously. Um, I personally love Sky more, but all anyone has to say is Corey Davis, and I immediately back down. So I'm willing to let that one go. But Wondell Robinson is another player that I personally like um, just overall from this class. He's weird, and I like weird, 
because it can be a little harder to predict, which often creates some level of uncertainty, which sometimes is a good thing for their overall cost and upside. Like he played running back the first two years of his career, I think it was, at a lower conference before elevating and becoming a wide receiver. Looked into him at all, think much about him? Yeah, yeah. My model loved Wandale Robinson. I, I don't know how any model could love Traylon Burks and not love Wandale Robinson. I mean, obviously yeah. the height and there's there's that, but minus minus that. Um, so last <laughs> season, uh, he had a 45% yardage market share, a number which no other power five receiver in this class has ever come close to. It ranks 32nd best since 2000, 25th best if age adjusted. He averaged 3.64 yards per team pass attempt. Again, no other power five wide receiver in this class has ever come close to that. That ranks 36th best since 2000. And so you, you just look at those two numbers and it's like, damn, okay, this guy's exciting. Red flags. Uh, his quarterback, Will Levis, is a potential top quarterback in the 2023 class. He, there was no one else he was of note he was competing for targets with. But I mean, at the same time, this is a former running back. This guy was the number one all-purpose running back coming out of high school and limited experience playing the position. So you think there might be some untapped upside there. Uh, the concerns, again, in, in very similar to Traylon Burks in that it was schemed, manufactured touches. Also, slot wide receiver production at the college level is just not really meaningful. It's not really predictive because they're running – routes up against, you know, linebackers with plenty of space to work <laughs> rather than in the NFL against a sticky nickel cornerback. So it's just, I mean, every college team is going to put their best wide receiver in the slot to take advantage of that. But when it's right. 99% of your production, it's, it's just less meaningful. It's less valuable. It's less predictive. Um, and again, of course, you know, the height, but uh, who was the other name? Because I, I wanted to talk about the other name. Oh God, I don't know. I throw out so many things. I wonder Sky Moore. Sky Moore. Yeah. And you said all you have to say to me is Corey Davis, and immediately uh I'm I'm tuned out, right? Well, what did that I, I went in Another... hard in the paint for Corey Davis? Like I, I laid it out there for Corey Davis and he did not <laughs> reward me three years. <laughs> but yeah, carry on. I still love Corey Davis. <laughs> okay. Well, what about two other names I can give you? One is Dwayne Eskridge. So Sky Moore had. Oh, come on, man. Uh, no, listen to me. So Sky Moore had a career best 108 yards per game last season, but the year right. before, Dwayne Eskridge had 128. Okay, sure, he's he's older, but he also played cornerback the year before that. And then if that's not a good name, what about Jaden Reed? So you look at Sky Moore's breakout 2019 season as a 19 year old true freshman. Jaden Reed, the season before, as an 18.4-year-old true freshman, was more productive, higher yardage market share, and he was playing with John Wasink, a UDFA, whereas uh, Sky Moore had Caleb Ellaby, the consensus QB8 in this class. Reed was competing for targets with Eskridge, who was playing wide receiver, unlike Moore's freshman season when he played cornerback. And so, again, you know, I like Sky Moore, but this is just another one of those red flags that I'm not really hearing anyone talk about. And it just, it just makes me a little skeptical. Also, again, I'm not a tape guy, but um, didn't, didn't love the tape. He didn't, he didn't wow me with his tape. Yeah. Um, no, I already had the heads up. Sky Moore is exactly the kind of guy I would have fallen in love with 
literally a year or two ago. But when you when you keep making a common mistake, you just find someone who's better at you than it at it. And uh, yeah, Zachary told me before I even looked I was going to love Sky more, and I needed to calm down about it. And okay. because of Corey Davis, and it's just this team has a habit of producing excessively high wide receiver stats with excessively low competition. Whether right. those things work in a vacuum for all wide receivers doesn't matter. This is a context where it somewhat matters. And yeah, I'm a little lower on Sky more definitely than I would have been even a year or two ago because all of that actually matters, even if we can't. I can't wait it for everyone. Well, well another another guy like that could be David Bell if you think David hey. Moore is a bust. And hold on on it. I don't. I don't I don't necessarily think that. I, I think you made a good counter argument for why we should be optimistic. But the wide receiver before that, Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom's wide receiver before that was Taewon Taylor. It was a guy I was way too high on. And so you you notice that with with some like I love Rashad White, but Zach Hill's RB1 always smashes always smashes so that's you know just something to look at it's nuance it's not necessarily a true red flag but it's always something to keep in mind i think that's smart maybe it's an increasing part of the college level that wide receivers are clustering more commonly it's something travis may from rotoviz keeps warning me about the transfer portal is going to continue to f with my process consistently because yep. more wide receivers moving around they're going to be a smaller process and a lot are often going to be compacted into these depth charts i think that's one of the effects but like it's not like a player who beats the average playing against no one of particular note hasn't hit before in fact still currently right now most do that very few are odo beckham and jarvis landry or jj and chase but it does seem to be becoming increasingly common and we can see that in this class like you've gone over with um alave and wilson I've literally forgotten his name. Garrett Wilson, sorry. Um, uh, and Jamison Williams in that they were all clustered on the same depth chart. Um, yeah, I think I'm out. I mean, there's about a million other things I'd ask you and a million other players, but they'd just be repetitions of, Scott, please please just break this down for me real quick. And honestly, we can follow you uh, at Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter. Check his work out on Fantasy Points. Is that where your articles are, by the way, that you mentioned? The wide receiver article that you just dropped, breaking down all of these guys and more? Yep, fantasypoints.com. All right, Scott. I really appreciate you coming on, considering how busy you are and everything else. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the work, man. It's really helpful. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so... Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.